Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Last time we got together, we met Alexa Garza, who spent nearly 20 years at Mountain View Correctional Facility in Gatesville, Texas. She told us about her amazing job as a Brailleist, and I welcome her. It's good to have you back again. Thank you so much. Just in case, Alexa, people missed your first segment, um, just give us a very brief uh, overview of what you did for the majority of your time at um, Mountain View as a, as a, uh, as a job with an a amazing skill set. What was that job? I was a Braille transcriber. I transcribed books for the visually impaired. Um, we transcribed for textbooks and uh, across several Braille agencies from kindergarten all the way to collegiate college. So, Okay, that's wonderful. A tremendous <laughs> service to visually impaired people, blind people, but also by the same token, um, a wonderful skill for you that you took with you. And, and that's what I was going to be uh, asking you about. So you left Mountain View about three and a half years ago. You had an extremely supportive family while you were inside. Um, what has life been like for you since your release? Well, um, I still transcribe books for the visually impaired. I work for um, some agencies that I brailled for it while in there but of course and you know different different type of relationships since i'm getting paid now <laughs> compared to nice. uh -huh. no pay in texas so i do that and i also am into advocacy and reform for um, higher education that's my other passion i was i received my higher education while i was incarcerated so I was, you know, blessed to apply and receive a fellowship with the Education Trust for, you know, uh, a resource scan on the intersection between criminal justice and higher education. So that's what I've been focusing on, along with my Braille, which I'll, you know, I still Braille. I'm doing a insurance document as we speak. Oh. So that big booklet that you get at um, when you enroll for health insurance that nobody really reads. I have to put that right now. <laughs> How much time uh, out of the week would you say you are still railing? Ooh, I braille every day. Do you? Every Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, I braille every day, depending on my deadlines. I have deadlines. I braille from home. So I'm able to know that if my deadlines when they come up and to plan my schedule around it, but I braille every day, eight to 10 hours a day, sometimes mm. more. Wow. So it just all depends on the, my, my workload and the agencies that require the deadlines and so forth. So is the pay um, a decent living wage? Can you exist on that alone? Yes and no, but you have to understand. So as a Braille transcriber, you're a 1099 independent contractor. So mm -hmm. you have to do your own taxes. That's something that didn't teach us. You have to figure that out. You also have to understand, um, you know, if you, how to expense things. And also it's a small community and you don't want to take all this work thinking that the money is going to be good because they pay you by page. So oh. 
you get paid according to your certifications, according to what the agency can, you know, is, is saying, I'm giving you this Harry Potter book hypothetically and the rate of pay is 250 a page hypothetically. And so you can take it or leave it. Um, but you also got to know, you know, can I take it? Is it, is it within my skill set to do it? Um, is this a math book? Can I do the math or am I just going to stick with text? You know, if it's math or is it a foreign language uh, or is it music? A lot of the ladies are music certified and that's the more certifications that you have, the higher you get paid per page because the work is coming in. So if you're math certified, it's just a little bit more. If you are tactiles, it's an abundant tactiles to so tactiles is a little bit more per page than it would be just text. If you're doing music, that's an absorbent amount, more amount of work that you're doing. Oh, I so, would think, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, back to a foreign language. Many languages have symbols. How do you do those? They are rules. Um, they're accent symbols. So, oh, like, right, in right. Spanish, in Spanish, hypothetically, you have the A-E-I-O-U with the accents and the, the umlaut and so forth in German. Right. So, that's something that you have to learn and research and keep reading of uh, the Braille associations and the national Braille are really good at setting the rules. And we just make sure that we follow the rules. We have but, a textbook formatting book that shows us how to format everything. And But how do you, how do you put those symbols in? Is it, is the compute, is the program set up to do that kind of thing? Yes. You have to change oh. the parameters of the program oh, oh, okay. to yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Very good question. That's a good call. Yeah. You caught it. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just such a wonderful skill that you brought with you. That's great. So the transition, how challenging was it for you being out of the loop for about 20 some years and coming back into society? You would think it was harder than it was, but it wasn't. I was Again, my family was very supportive of me and they saw me every weekend and wrote me every day. And then when Texas was allowed to have phones, I would speak to them twice a week in addition mm. to all the other um, meetings. So I was very actualized and I found that I wore the uniform. The uniform never wore me. So <laughs> I was able to I was able to kind of come out with okay hit the ground running my family was there and so forth but again obstacles were coming your way i was on parole for seven months mm -hmm. and parole is an anomaly in and of itself they did not believe that braille was a viable skill set they did not believe braille was you know something that i could actually make a living and sustain myself on so i was required by parole to go get a job mm -hmm. that i could get a paycheck every two weeks they wanted to see a paycheck stub so I went and got a job as a server at a steakhouse to give them that. So at night I would work as a server and then during the day I would braille from home. And I did that for a couple months until, excuse me, parole was able to see that braille was something that you can make money with and sustain yourself. So I see. And so they let you off the hook. You didn't have to do both. I didn't have to do both. And then um, there's a lot of, things that you don't think of that you're going to, it's going to affect you. I had a problem with the clothes that was like the, the texture of the clothes and material. I wanted cotton, everything cotton. Cause 
I didn't like the way nylon felt on me or rayon or synthetic polyester. Um, uh, we wear our clothes very baggy. Uh, the clothes that we wear are for men, but they just, you know, women, it's like a unisex uniform. So yeah. things that were tight fitting, I didn't really feel comfortable in those, you know, um, I wore glasses. My hair was always up. I, I always kept my eyes down and my mouth closed. So it was mm -hmm. real difficult for me to be around men to look men in the eye, hmm. which, and um, I find that I still apologize a lot. I say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry hmm. for everything because it was just easier when we were there to kind of find that, that passive behavior of, you know, we're always in the wrong, we're always wrong. Just, you know, just say you're sorry and move on. So that bleeds over into everything. And I'm still, I mean, I'm three and a half years, three years out, and it's still something that I face with every day, but my, you know, Hey, if this is not an I'm sorry situation, you know, this is not your fault, but it's something it took. I was there for 19 plus, year, you know, 19 years. So I'll, it's going to take a bit. It's going to take a minute. But what what uh, what about the technology out here? Was that uh, certainly wasn't part of your world 20 years ago or 23 years ago? Um, was that challenging? Actually, no, I um, was able to work on different programs and computers while in Braille. Another advantage of that program, because you have access to computers, you have access to books coming in and you're reading it. So like the text scene and I'm actually mm -hmm. like I had never texted before, but I knew what right. it was. I knew how to do it because I had Braille about it. Oh. So I know a little bit about everything, but <laughs> so I was more but like when I actually got my hands on something it was a learning curve of course with everything but I was very very motivated to succeed and to learn I mean I still don't text like you would normally text with like the thumbs right they're speed textures but I can text you know very well and very rapidly but again again it is a learning curve of you know setting up I didn't have any credit I was gone for 20 years right. my, you know how do you establish credit you know what do you, I don't have good credit or bad credit I just don't have credit and I'm 40 years old what do you do or or trying to get an apartment on my own and being discriminated against because my felony is over 25 years old at this point and I'm still being denied housing because of my felony conviction or what about driving you know driving I had to um my mom says, what you learn well, you never forget. And I learned how to drive when I was 16 and um, actually picked up driving like I had never left. Good. But I read the book and I took a course online and I would practice in, in the driveway. And I made like a 96 on my driving test. And I was like, wow, you know, but again, those are things that I had the family support to pay for all those things to take me to go get the, the uh, it's not like you can walk up to the DMV anymore, especially now post COVID, but you can't walk, you have to make an appointment and those sure. appointments are, or I, I didn't know any of that. They didn't tell us that back when I was there, you could just walk up to the DMV at any time and stand in line and, you know, do your business. And now it's all by appointment and, and you have to have this, um, you have to watch this video before you go, you have to have this paperwork. What about an ID? Texas was really good at getting me my ID when I was walking out the door. But a lot of ladies that I know that are divorced and have their husband's name or were not born in Texas, they couldn't get their IDs. So getting your Texas ID to do most of anything is another hardship that you have to, a barrier that you have to cross when you get there. 
Yeah, so there were a number of challenges. Um, you set some goals for yourself in terms of higher education. What were those goals? Well, when I first entered the system, I said to myself, I was never going to look back and say I wasted a moment. So I took advantage of every opportunity that they had available. And education was one of them. And college was offered at the unit where I was at. And I aspired to go to college and get my degrees. So I have two associates and a bachelor's degree. Oh and I remember wow. after I got my bachelor's, I wanted my master's. Okay, what's next? And I was told that women did not need a master's program because our place was in the home mm -hmm. and I could not get it. <laughs> Even though the men have a robust, successful master's program mm -hmm. and that always stuck with me because don't tell me that I can't do it because I'm a woman. Sure. <laughs> it's very interesting that so it's available to men in Texas um, prison facilities, but it is not to. So, so the highest you can go is a bachelor's. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. And you did that. And I did that. And then I sat there for an additional five years, six years with no educational opportunities. Yeah. What a shame. Um, so what do you think? should be offered to those in prison. Um, and I, a question that so many people ask me is, why should we give away college degree programs to people in prison when we have to pay for them out here? That's a really good question. Pell is going to be implemented, passed by the federal government in 2023. Right. 95% statistically. 95% of those incarcerated will be released at one point, whether it's two, 10 or 15 years. Right. My thought is why not prepare them to be better than when they went in? College education is not the golden key that opened the doors for me. Mm -hmm. College education is not the golden key that made me get a great job. It's not that it equipped me and taught me how to think differently, how to adapt, how to overcome, how to be patient. It just, it's an overall experience and it's not just for me or for those when they're released. It also changed the culture while inside prison. It's its own little world. That's why they call it the free world. When we're inside, we call it the free world hmm. because we're not free. So I know that I was around other students and other people who wanted to better themselves and learn as much as they could. And we were it was different. We were different than the others. So education itself can change. I've seen programs succeed now that I'm out here and researching it, different avenues, programs succeed where you become scholars in a school and not just inmates in an institution. So education is viable. What besides education, which I, I believe as you do that um, so many uh, prisoners or, or offenders are going to walk out at some point in time and better to have them educated than not. Uh, that, that's my own personal belief. But besides um, college and certainly a high school diploma, which many, many offenders come in without, what else would you like to see offered in, in prisons? Let's just take women's prisons because that's your experience. Okay, my experience is if they're offering it for the men, they should mm. offer it for the females. So, for right. example, welding, truck driving, mm. plumbing, HV, HVAC. If you see a side-by-side -side comparison of 
the list for women's programming in Texas compared to the men's, it's about, there's no, you can totally see the difference. So, I mean, I always thought learning how to weld would be super interesting, (laughs) you know, just because I, I mean, that's just me personally. I would, if they would have offered it, I would have loved to take it. I would have taken it because I always thought it was interesting, but, but, you know, don't discount it. Vocational training is, is awesome. They have, they offer horticulture, which is a form of landscaping and they offer, um, vocational like as a computer science like a secretary like um computer training to to learn how to work and manipulate a computer but again for me in my personal opinion those are very singular oh and cosmetology i believe they just started cosmetology and i believe they're having problems with the license of it because a lot of felonies you can't get license for that particular skill set but i believe these are like singular focus on females and you know at this point we should be all about you know equity inclusion and diversity not because of gender so if if you know vocational training where even if it's HVAC or plumbing or welding I think we need to always do that. Thank you for that insight on programs that really should be part of of prison and it's it's fascinating to me um, I know so many people in prison. I write to so many. I used to visit many. And they're, they're all different. Um, so some uh, programs offer writing workshops, and then uh, the women become published authors. Uh, some of them offer um, uh, plays that the uh, uh, people can put on and invite you know the uh, public to. So those are creative kinds of things. Um, is is there anything, do you know about the rest of Texas or is it pretty uniform that what you, what you were offered and what the men were offered is pretty standard across the state? Inside the penal system, inside the criminal justice system, yes. Yeah. I, I in, wonder in, why, why there's such uh, an inequality across the country. That is um, a disparity. And that um, I started researching it when I was released. My family wanted me to leave and never look back, not mm-hmm. even think about it or refer to it or even just, you know, wash my hands of it. But it was such a big part of my life that, you know, I tried to do that for a couple months and it's just not feasible. It, I grew up there. It was, yeah. I spent you know, half my life there. So no. So let me try to make it better. Let me try to make it uh, something that, you know, for the ladies and the sisters that I left behind. So let me start reading it and policy, you know, policy reads really good when it says um, access to higher education. Um, when it says um, this is all like policy about financial aid opportunities for college students. And I'm like, that looks, reads great, man. I never even knew any of these existed when I was, you know, I mean, but so, you know, that was what I was finding. And that's why I'm entering in spaces such as this and other organizational groups and advocacy groups trying to, you know, educate and support and reform. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your long-term goals for yourself as you look ahead? I, it's difficult for me to project because a part of me is always 
kind of like in the back of your mind, you know, like every day, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Not a day goes by that I'm not grateful that of the freedom and the breath that I can take out here. So for me, when I was inside, it was very difficult for me to think in the future. I never thought that I would get married. I never thought that I would be able to, there was, it didn't, I didn't allow it to enter my mind because it was, you know, very difficult to have those dreams and hopes after being like disappointed for so long. So it's difficult for me, even out here, but I would like for me to look back and say that despite where I was, I left it better than how I found it. So that's me trying to advocate and change and reform and educate and let's talk about it. And a lot of people um, don't, you know, your system impacted. We don't really want you at the table. Well, you know what? I'm going to make my own table. We're going to talk about it because who who else but me can tell you how it really is inside. Who else but me can tell you what the programs work or won't work for you. So, So what, what gives you happiness as a free woman right now? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, happiness is that I have choices and that I can, my voice has value because for a long time I thought nobody cared and I thought what I mattered, I didn't matter and that I had no power or no voice, but I'm learning that I am a person of value and that I do deserve to be happy despite my circumstances, despite my past. I I deserve it. Um, They always would tell us such and such is a privilege, not a right. Parole is a privilege, not a right. Going to the store is a privilege, not a right. Um, And I've heard that for so long. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's a privilege that I want and that I work very hard for and that I deserve because I'm doing everything in my power to earn that privilege. So you're absolutely right but I want it and, you know, don't take me. So that's where I'm at every day. That's great. So do you have a hobby or something that you turn to that isn't work related now that you're out? You would be surprised. I am an expert fisherwoman. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I love to go fishing. That's great. So who would have thought that I love to go fishing and I'm very good at it. I catch really big fish more so than the men around me, but you know, you can't tell them that, but I'm very happy when I'm out there fishing and it's very um, quiet and still and peaceful for me. And it kind of slows down because everything's so hectic out here. You know, you have the phone attached to your hand now and, you know, all these things going through your head. I always want to be doing more and more and more because I worked for so long. You know, you can't call in sick. You can't say you don't feel well. You go to work whether you want to or not. So that work ethic, you know, bleeds over to me. So I'm always a hard worker. You know, I'm I, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to do it the best of my ability. So fishing for me just gives me that peace. And I can, oh, okay, I can I can just sit here for a second and not have to worry about anything. So right. you, that's surprising. Well, <laughs> you, you put in a, a tremendous amount of hours, you said, when you have a deadline. So that's so different. Um, right. You know, it's just so quiet and so so peaceful just what you said so when um 
when you aren't working generally, um, how do you spend your free time? Do you, is it, you know, fishing or spending time with yes, family? fishing or baking. I like to bake. I'm a, I'm learning how to bake, uh, cakes and pies and different, um, flavors of things that I see that I always, when I would l watch the cooking shows, I would say one day I'm going to do that. So That's this great. is that day where I'm learning how to do, try different dishes. It might not all taste like ambrosia, but you know what? It's, it, I'm still doing it and I'm making a mess in the kitchen, but Hey, I'm, I'm, fun. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> all right. So one last question, what did prison teach you that you carry with you today? That's a very good question. Prison taught me to forgive myself and to forgive others because life is very short and that if nothing else who am i to hold a grudge or to judge when we don't even know if tomorrow or later on especially with covid and everything so that was one thing that it taught me more than anything else what a great to forgive well, I really appreciate that you came back to share your experiences with our listeners. Um, I'm so pleased to have met you, and I wish you well in your journey forward. Um, I wanted to tell our listeners that next time I will be speaking with Kristen Henning, author of The Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth. I hope you'll join us next time on Pursuing Justice. And thank you once again, Alexa. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm You're grateful. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.